Amen. Come on, give him another hand. Michael is the can-do guy. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't know no. And uh, I think uh, I think all of us could learn from that. I really do. Uh, uh, what he's saying is so true. Uh, maybe as a dad, uh, fathers, or maybe as a mom, mothers, you've had to you've had to do some of the Michael stuff. Like you just have to. You know, pull up your big britches and do stuff that's needed to be done, whether you've got the training for it or not. Or, uh, you know, and most men can't or refuse or don't want to read the destructions. Uh, but Michael is one. He's just amazing. Uh, Michael, how old are you? How old are you? Emily, how old is he? Sixty-eight. Um, I, I just haven't met too many 68-year-old men like this who uh, who will, if it needs to be done, he'll actually, he'll just study it and study it and study it. Like all the cameras here, that all, and he figured that out so well that now he's actually done some businesses where he's set up cameras for them because uh, they hear what he's done here. Uh, and so you can just, you know, you can bring up 16 cameras on your phone. How does a 68-year-old man know how to do that? You know, I mean, that's like, that is amazing. The patience to read that many destructions uh, is just, that's amazing. Isn't that good? Yeah? So, I mean, it boggles my mind because I, I, that's tough for me. Uh, I would rather him learn how to do it and then just put it on my phone and show me. Thank you, Michael. And that's what he did. So you're on my phone too, so be careful what you do at church. Amen. Let's pray over the word. God is good, yes? You still happy? So glad you came to church. Lord, we just received from you instruction and wisdom from above. We ask you to provoke our hearts with knowledge. We ask you to lead us in the walk of wisdom. We thank you that you've anointed us, that you've called us, that you've set us apart, that you've made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, that you've made us sons and daughters. We bless you for it. We just posture our, our heart, our mind, our insight, our intellect, our understanding to receive more from you this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, positive influence is what's kind of been on my heart, on my mind, and just the power of the gospel, how powerful it is. And, and I, don't know, I don't know if you have daily devotions. How many of you do have daily devotions of some kind? So, I just, you know, I just want to impress upon you the power of daily devotions even. Just how, you know, last week I brought the loaf of bread and I brought that little bitty yeast packet. And just, you know, talking about how that the Word, uh, the word is like the yeast that will transform our lives. It transforms us from the inside out. 
And a little bit goes a long ways. A little bit goes a long ways. And maybe that's something that that would just, something we could grab today is that you don't need to soak in the Word uh, like day and night. You don't need to have the Bible like playing uh, 24-7 on your car radio and you feel condemned if you listened to a little music or some talk radio or something. It, a little bit of the Word will go a long ways. The Word is so powerful, and I think maybe we subconsciously, I don't know if despise is the right word, so maybe it's not, but, you know, we just don't realize how powerful the Word is because the Holy Spirit is linked to the Word indelibly and, and intricately. And so sometimes we, you know, we think, well, if I can't read this much or if I can't have this deep of devotions or if I can't, you know, then then I won't have any at all. You know, I don't have time for much of anything too deep. So, And so maybe we, we rush off into our daily activities without even a little bit. But a little bit of the Word will go a long ways. And a little bit of the Word for you that are seasoned, you've grown in the Lord a little bit, you're You've, you've been walking with the Lord a little bit. A little bit of the Word will provoke your memory. It will rekindle something that's already there. It will reawaken something that's already been sown. And so there's great power in rehearsing, going back over, reading again the Word of God. And just asking the Holy Spirit for illumination. And even if it's a short amount of time, because... The word is seed. Yes, the word is seed, and that's one of the true metaphors of the word. But it's also likened to, the gospel is likened to leaven. And God says, or, or Jesus declares in Matthew thirteen thirty three that it's like leaven that's been hidden in the earth, and this leaven is leavening the whole. This leaven is so powerful that it is, it's, permeating, it's affecting, it's making its way into the whole until all is leavened. Until all is leavened. And I think the Word is like that with us, that if we will, if we will open our hearts to the Word, if we will need the Word into our circumstances, if we will need the Word into our situations, into our emotions, into our thought patterns. If we will if we'll invite the word and and you don't have to read several chapters a day, you you don't you don't have to spend your whole day in the word. Just trust that a little bit will go a long ways. And I like to think of the word this way, especially for us maybe that are newer in the faith and several of us are newer in our faith. Um, have you built one of those 100-piece puzzles? So we have a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a family ritual uh, that uh, on holidays, Joel will pull out one of the, some big giant puzzle. And then it'll be my job to get a table big enough to hold the puzzle when the puzzle's built, right? And so sometimes I have to get the, you know, some plywood together or something. And we'll, you know, we'll make shift a table. And 
you know, you, you stare at all those pieces and you're like, where do they fit? And they might even have some beauty to them when you look at them individually. Or you might recognize it's the part of something that could be beautiful. But, but you might not know exactly where it all fits. And if you haven't seen the box top, you don't even know what the picture is. But if you can get the box top near, the box top in Christianity would be Christ. He is the exact representation of the Father. The box top could be some other mature believers around you, yeah? But we, a lot of times we're reading the Word and we don't, know, we don't know the sum total of what the Word is going to look like when we're transformed into the Word. We, we don't know the full picture. We don't understand all that we're reading. But little by little, the more you put together, oh, here's a cloud, here's a part of a mountain, oh, I'm certain here's a part of a tree. Little by little, the more of those pieces you start joining together, the more you begin to get the whole picture and the more you begin to understand what it is you're trying to build. You get understanding. And the Word is that way. And I just want to... I want to encourage you this morning, those of you that are newer in the Word, don't give up with the limited understanding you have as you read Scripture. As you read a little bit of this and you read a little bit of that, you're reading some of the Gospels and you're reading over here out of Proverbs, you're reading some of the Psalms, and then you, you go over to the first five books and you, you get bogged down in the numbers, right? And then you, you get into some of the genealogies and you're, you get bogged down. Don't, don't become weary of what you're doing because actually what you're doing little by little is you're putting together little pieces, fragments of pictures. There's a little part of a tree coming together, a little part of a cloud coming together, a little part of a mountain coming together. Here's a little part of a lake coming together. There's a beautiful picture starting to come together. And over time, if you will be patient, if you will patiently continue to read the Word, then you'll get a full picture. The picture will get more and more clear. And as the picture becomes more clear, then your life gets more and more transformed with the image of that picture. Because as you gaze into the Word of God, you'll begin to realize that's the image of what God's doing with you. God is drawing you into that image so that as your understanding grows, so does your countenance, so does your heart, so does your own spiritual walk with God. Amen? Let's pray over that right now. Those of you that uh, you couldn't raise your hand and say, uh, I'm having some daily devotional time. Uh, and uh, if that was you, I just heads bowed every, everywhere. Let's just, let's just pray and just agree right now. Lord, we just ask for a fresh grace to just be released upon your kids right now. A grace to love your word, to press into your word, to value one verse, one passage, to value the random devotions that they've had that didn't bring fullness of understanding yet, 
but will bring understanding as they continue. To trust you that there are elements of the fullness of your nature, your story, your narrative, your promises, and your working, there is fullness coming as they develop the smaller pieces, the smaller pictures within the picture. Lord, you're doing a good work. We trust you're doing a good work with us, and we receive grace to continue. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen. Yeah? I'm just blessed that we get to be the most positive people in the world. The Word gives us the most positive perspective. It makes us the most hope-filled people on the planet, the most joy-filled people on the planet. The more the, the yeast of the Word is able to get inside of you and you welcome the yeast of the Word to affect you, then that, that Word has the power to make us the most joyful hope-filled, life-filled people on the planet. Isn't that exciting? I mean, this is, this, this is the most exciting thing. God is raising up right now. God is raising up uh, uh, the Daniels, uh, new and fresh Elijahs, and new and fresh Noahs, and, and, and those who know him, Joshuas. And we have an assurance that he's not done with us that we are coming into our greatest season ever. The church is coming into its greatest season ever. The greatest days are ahead of us. You believe that? Three of you? Last week I was talking to you about Malcolm... Uh, Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. Have you guys read that? How many of you read The Tipping Point? Uh, a couple of you have. I, I thought it was cool, and I wanted to bring out some things that I, that I think are really kingdom that he's discovered outside of kingdom. He's, he's discovered them in culture. But if you extrapolate or apply what he discovered over to kingdom, then I think it really speaks to the power of, of being a positive person. And, I, and I, I, I wanted to just draw us into that a little bit because I believe we're the most powerful people on the planet and the Word gives us this, this grace, this power, this, call it yeast if you want to, I don't know, you might not like that metaphor, but, but the Word gives us such a transformed heart ourselves that we pack transformation. We carry transformation. And, and part of what drew me in to, to what I felt I wanted to deposit in your hearts is that we are not called to look at culture and decide how to live. We're to look at the Word and continue to influence culture. And we need to be careful in a, in a democratic society, culture, situation, that we don't get to thinking that it's the majority that sets the tone for where we're going. It's actually, it's actually the brave who set the tone. It's actually the courageous. 
It's actually, Daniel says, those who know their God, they will do exploits. They'll set the tone. And what I love about the Word, the Word is not about a democratic situation. It's about those who knew their God, and by being connected to God, they brought influence against the majority. Against the majority. God showed up. Daniel wasn't in the majority. God showed up. Nehemiah wasn't in the majority. God showed up. Story after story after story. Noah wasn't in the majority. God showed up. The Bible's full of all of these stories, and I think it's an inspiration to us to not look around, to not look and see what culture's doing, what society's doing, what's popular, what's cool, what people are voting on, how voting's going. To be discouraged by that as well, but rather to walk with God, walk with this positive, faith-filled, grace-filled life that God has given us and watch God change things as we do. Watch Him change those around us. Watch Him not only change us as He changed you, but also change those environments around us. In the tipping point, He talks about context. And how that when we change the context, even in small ways, and what they discovered was a change of context in real-life situations, a change of context with small things that brought huge dividends. Can I read this to you? I want to read you a little bit about what they discovered in the principle of context. On Monday, November 26th of 2012, Deputy Commissioner for the New York City Police Department, Paul Brown, clocked out of work on a day that left many officials confused. This is in New York City. Confused because not one single violent crime was reported in the city that day. No shootings, no stabbings, nothing. This was a far cry from the 1990s, where in 1994, for example, 4,967 people were shot, almost 14 a day. What changed? How did New York City become one of the safest cities in America? And more importantly, what can we learn from it? If we can change bad behaviors in culture on a societal level, How could we change them on an individual level as well? To answer those questions, we go back two decades. In the 1990s, crime declined in the United States. There were a number of reasons for this. The crack epidemic tipped down. The economy tipped up. And people sought employment instead of crime. And the population grew older. And elderly people tend to abide by the law. In New York City, however, another story was unfolding. The economy was in dire straits. Welfare cuts meant citizens from neighborhoods were struggling to earn a living. The above-average number of immigrants arriving in the city meant the population wasn't aging. It was actually getting younger. And although the crack cocaine epidemic tipped down like it had done in neighboring cities, it had been gradually declining even before the crime dip. What was going on? enters the broken window theory. 
Everybody say broken window theory. In 1982, social scientists James Wilson and George Killing theorized that a crime is actually a result of urban disorder. And they penned and authored what would become called the broken window theory. Malcolm Gladwell talks about it in his book, The Tipping Point. Here's essentially what it says and what was applied in New York City. If a window is broken or left unrepaired, people walking by will conclude no one cares and no one's in charge. Soon more windows will be broken and a sense of anarchy could spread from building to the streets on which the window faces, sending a signal that anything goes and other criminal behavior is welcome. In a city like New York, broken windows become invitations for further law-breaking like burglary, rape, and murder. If law enforcement was going to clean up its city, it had to start from the bottom. It had to start with things like broken windows. The broken windows in New York weren't all literally broken windows, although vandalism did play a part of the problem. It was more of a metaphor for the theory that they would then apply. The real broken windows, those moments of critical mass that caused the epidemic of crime in the first place were not a result of felonies like kidnapping, arson, or robbery, as one would expect. They were actually the result of misdemeanors like graffiti, like getting on the subway without paying the fare. These were crimes police officers had previously overlooked as insignificant. But the question was, if graffiti and fare beating became the focus of the cleanup, would the, prime, would the crime rate tip down? In 1990, after six years of cleaning, the subway was finished, but there was still one problem left to solve, fare beating. Fare beaters often went unpunished because police officers had more important crimes to fight. When $1.25 was lost for getting on the subway or the train or the bus, it wasn't a big deal, but when everyone did it, it became a problem. When a couple of lawbreakers jumped the toll, it became an invitation for others to follow, including citizens who normally abide by the law. The consensus was, if they don't pay, why should I? At this time, law enforcement officer William Bratton was called in to head the transit police. Bratton, like Gunn, believed if a broken window, like fair beating, was addressed, the crime rate could tip down. So he instructed police officers to dress in civilian clothing and arrest fair beaters and make an example of them. The goal was to demonstrate if you're going to take if you're thinking about toll jumping, here's what's going to happen to you. And here's where it gets interesting. One in seven toll perpetrators arrested had an outstanding warrant for a previous crime, and one in twenty were carrying an illegal firearm. Within months of this crackdown, arrests tripled and New York City's crime rate plummeted. Now, it was the following through with this that really brought the crime rate in New York down to historic lows and historic levels. But what's interesting is that instead of attacking the giant things, they went to attack or to confront or to eliminate or to remove the smaller things, the small things.
the things that seemed insignificant, the things that seemed like nobody cared about, the things that were indiscriminate. And yet, and yet, this, I mean, this really, this really, this got me excited when I read about this. Because it got me thinking about how we can change not only our own lives, but it got me thinking about how also we can change the environment where we live. It got me thinking about how many times do we not address negative environments or negative situations because we think we need to address the big things and those things seem too big to address. But maybe we should start with addressing or altering, confronting, changing, eliminating the small things. And how many small things do we allow or tolerate in our own life, our own heart, our own mind, our family, our work, our situations, just because we're letting those slide by because they seem insignificant, they seem too small to address, they seem like if you address those, it wouldn't make a difference. Isn't that amazing? By focusing on the small negative things in New York City that were the most common, by addressing those behaviors, and they had, they've got a laundry list of other things they, they addressed, many of which we need to address with maybe the homelessness up in Seattle in our own streets. So um, going to the restroom where you shouldn't, and et cetera, et cetera. By addressing these behaviors, the larger problems were solved as well. And I think also with us, the smallest, the smallest, even in our thought life, the smallest of negative thoughts set the tone for the atmosphere, negative or positive, the smallest things set the tone or the atmosphere for our own personal success and for the bigger things that will come in our lives and in the future and through us and in the lives of those that we touch. I think much like the city of New York, every one of us have a little bit of a war within. Every one of us have a little bit of a war within and if we're not winning that war inwardly in our thought life, that's where the war should start. Addressing, arresting, confronting, demolishing. Because if there's negative thoughts or worry or fear or self-pity, criticism, jealousy, envy, if we're allowing a little bit of a negative atmosphere, because that negative atmosphere can also be like yeast that's going to try to be permeating the whole expression of what we're doing. And maybe we're thinking, no, I just need to make more money. Yeah, but we need to start with our thought life. Yeah, but I just need to get... I need to get everything solved with my cars. Well, let's start with our thought life. 
Well, I just, I need to, I need to get that house. And uh, I need, so need to, and I, I need to, and we're, maybe we're reaching out here at some really big stuff. Or we're seeing some big stuff with our health or, or, or our family that needs fixed or addressed. But I think the wisdom of this theory from a kingdom perspective is that we got to start right here with the way we think. We got to start with our thought life that, that if we'll tag that stuff that's negative, if we'll, if we'll confront, if we'll, just, if we'll just get the yeast of the gospel working a little bit better inwardly, and just knead it in a little bit more to the, to the thought life first and especially, then how much of that other stuff could, could that be a little bit of Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Let, let the kingdom wash over your thoughts. Let, let the let the assurance you have in Jesus, let, let your walk before God, let, let His influence within you have its way, and then all these things will be added to you. I, I think we have broken windows of the heart sometimes, and I think sometimes we're looking out here at larger issues but if we would work on the broken windows of our heart, work on the broken windows of our heart, when I go over to Philippians chapter 4, I'm, I'm out of time. That never happens. Philippians chapter 4. I don't, think that, uh, I don't think that pessimism is your lot in life. I think that pessimism, negative thinking, I think jealousy or envy, I think bitterness, I think discouragement is a choice. It's a choice that you can will to rise up against. The Word talks about this in so many places. It, Proverbs 4.20 says, Guard your heart above all things, above your car, above your motorbike. Guard your heart. For out of your heart come the issues, the boundaries of your life. Romans 8.6 says, Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, and it will result in life and peace. Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind on things above where you are now seated. Set your mind on the victory that is yours, the grace that's yours, the sonship that's yours, where you're now seated. Because when we set our mind on things that are higher than our circumstance, then we receive the grace. Then we walk in the grace. Then we partake of the grace that's ours for victory in those circumstances. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I say it again. This is the new international version. Uh, I'll read it out of a couple and then we'll close this morning. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. Wow. Fairly hard to be gentle and that gentleness be evident to all if you're not rejoicing in the midst of everything. If you're not rejoicing in the midst of trials, difficulties, hardship, trouble, chances are you're not going to be gentle. For the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, everybody say, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That you need your heart, we need our hearts and mind, we need our inner man guarded against negativity, against depression, against despair, against frustration, against unbelief, against doubt, against the war concerning what might happen in our future. That's worry. We need our heart and mind guarded, and we, we receive that guard when we present things to the Lord with prayer and with petition. We include thanksgiving. Why would we include thanksgiving? Because we we know he heard us, we know he's gonna we, we know he's gonna make a difference. We know that we're not praying in vain. We're not praying to a dead God. This is not an idol. This is not a chunk of wood over on the hill in Athens. This is this is the living God. When I bring this before the living God, I I know that he's gonna intervene. I know things are gonna shift. Things are gonna move. He's gonna help me. Strength is gonna be there. I'm not praying in vain. I'm not just talking to hear my head rattle. God is going to help me. So I make my petition known with thanksgiving. And then the peace that transcends, the peace that goes beyond all of my understanding of this current situation will guard my heart and mind. So then you look at the situation, the situation's still there. Somebody says, yeah, but this is going on. Yeah, I heard this is going on with you. How are you doing with this? Well, I'm rejoicing that God is my victory, that God is my help. I'm rejoicing that God is my strength. I'm rejoicing that God is at work. I'm rejoicing that God is my answer. I'm rejoicing that God is on the throne. I'm rejoicing that, that he's on my team and I'm on his team. There's a rejoicing going on. Do I understand everything? No, the peace will actually transcend my understanding. Well, yeah, but how's it going to work out? I don't know. How's he going to fix it? I'm not sure. You got a revelation on what's going to happen? I don't. Other than I know that we're going to get through this, and he's going to bring me into victory and it's going to get gooder and gooder, and my better days are ahead of me, not behind me. See, this is where I don't have to understand everything. I just need to know that the yeast of the gospel, the goodness of God, is at work within me as I meditate Him, as I reflect on what He's done, who He is, and what He's doing in my life, then goodness will come. Goodness will come. He'll lead me into victory. I, c I can be assured of that. 
Let's stand. We've got to close this morning. We're talking about fixing the broken windows of negativity in our own lives. And even just, just packing, you are, you are so armed and dangerous because you pack the grace of God, the goodness of God in your heart, in your mouth, in your expression. So the way you, what you do at your office, what you do in your family, what you do with the relatives, who you are, the goodness that you express, it is so powerful because it has, it has the power to arrest a negative environment and superimpose a positive environment in the midst of that negativity. Don't you love to mess with people that way? Right in the middle of a super negative conversation, you can just interrupt it and say, yeah, but you know, God could turn that thing around. You know, that could be an opportunity for something really good. Problems are actually an opportunity for God to show up. Don't you love to do that? Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you for the ministry of the word. Lord, we just agree your word is powerful. It's life-giving. John 6, 63 says it's spirit and life.